Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and the Shark. As always, we are brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week this week is Rodney Purvis. Easy Rod, easy Rodney Purvis, former NC State uh, and UConn guard. And I, I had to bring up the Easy Rod, Easy Rod, obviously, from Super Troopers, Brian Cox, who's now... Uh, resurrect. I don't know if resurrected his career is the right word, but he's obviously most famous con- in, in a contemporary sense because he is Logan Roy on succession, one of mine and the Sharks' absolute favorite. Uh, but yeah, Easy Rod Purvis, former NC State and UConn guard. Here's your college trooper of the week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Encouraging news regarding your your guys' homes. I'm very happy for you. The shark officially moved into his new home. He's got cable set up in the background while he's recording. Uh, congratulations. Are you fully are you fully in? Actually, can we rewind a week real quick and tell us about the cable guy fiasco? Cable guy, actually in the room where I'm talking right now. This is where the scene of the crime wasn't a crime. Don't accuse me of anything, but this is where it happened trying to get cable hooked up in here. I've never had my own room where I have the cable, where I work, all that sort of stuff. I, I've been brainstorming ideas and names of what to call this room. It's not an office. It's also a spare bedroom. It's got everything. I've settled on the parlor. So I call it the parlor. So if I'm watching games or if I'm telling you where I'm at, 
the parlor. It's a very classy term, not a very classy place, but I got all the games on right now. Providence up by like 14 right now. Not a good time to declare war against the hyenas, but I did. Uh, but yeah, so the guy is setting up cable up here because he's the Comcast guy. And, you know, he's having a hard time getting the connection from the floors below. And he's like trying this, trying that. It's not working. Next thing you know, I see him start wobbling around. And I ask him, hey, buddy, you good? He's like, I had a stroke a couple weeks ago, dude. I, I'm, I'm feeling it coming again. And I'm like, hey, why don't you take a seat, get you some water. And this dude, absolute warrior, took a little break, went back in there, finished up. We got cable. We're watching balls. We're watching Providence now. So true stud. When do you, it's always very difficult. I feel like when you're with a total, total and complete stranger and you're starting to identify, Hey, this guy might be encountering a life, like a health, a real life health crisis. At what point do you intervene versus, uh, it's just the cable guy. Maybe he's a little off balance putting together the router. I, I think when, when they, when they, you know, try to get some help. You know, when he answered the question, he needed some water. I think that was then and there. So I let him take a breather, cool down a little bit, and he got in and finished the job. Um, but what what can you say about that? He went above and beyond. This guy's an absolute star. So he's he's getting my hook, cable guy. Complete polar opposite of Dupree, which was on the other day on Stars, when he says, if you're looking for a Clydesdale, I'm not your man. That guy sounds like a Clydesdale, the, the cable guy. Yeah, I mean, this guy, you can – Plow horse, Clydesdale, thoroughbred, whatever you want to do with this guy. He, he can run an offense through this guy. Yeah, bell cow. Taylor, congratulations. You gave me a bit of uh, some some eyes on your back patio. A lot of good home improvement going on there. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to go right in your face there when you said, yeah, it's minus three today. And I said, yeah, I'm sitting on my back patio right now here at 72 degrees. But uh, yeah, I guess this could be the parlor of sorts too. I don't want to take that nickname. Not sure the parlor can be outside. Uh, the one thing I want to know about the parlor in Sharks World though is do you have a drink set up, maybe a beverage management center going into the parlor at some point? No, yet. Parlor's still being developed right now. I mean, if I'm going to get a mini fridge or something like that at some point, I'm going to have to run that by the wife a little bit because I, I think at some point she's going to want to see me occasionally, probably not too often. Uh, but, you know, the parlor's, the parlor's coming along pretty good here. I'm going to be honest. Once, once March gets rocking and rolling, it's going to be logging minutes in the parlor. I love that a guy that's hosted a college basketball podcast for, is this three years now? just is now getting cable to actually watch these college basketball games. Well, I have cable, so I'm not going to – please, uh, for the me. love of God, okay, okay. do not excuse let me, me come across because I do not accuse me of being a cord cutter, all right? I am not a cord cutter. I can't stand people that cut cords and wants to do the streaming thing because it saves you like 20 bucks. You need to have cable. You got to have live TV. If I come to your house and you don't have – cable and we're watching a sporting event and there's a little bit of lag time and if i open up twitter and something's already happened or i get a message in the group chat and something's already happened you're dead to me all right so i'm never going to be that guy but having said that every time we record this podcast i've always been in a room that happens to not have a tv with cable now that has changed thanks to my uh my clydesdale the other day Certainly moving on up. And I will say one of the very first things that the shark does before he may even take his first steps in the home is call that cable guy and set up the appointment. If you can, I mean, this is a PSA to everyone. If you know your exact move-in date, you got to be able to work simultaneously and, and in parallel with your cable provider 
to get it set up ASAP, right? Like they should be the ones knocking on the door, nobody answering. And you show up on the, on the lawn saying, Hey, yeah, we're moving in. Let's go ahead and, and get this cable. But congratulations to you both. Yes, it is a very frigid minus three degrees here. Haven't left the house. Heat's on very cozy under my avocado blanket, watching a lot of terrific hoops as a matter of fact. And last week was, was, Really wonderful for me. Uh, the shark and I have been doing dry January, so that means we really haven't been going out much. Saturdays, that's why I'm a maniac on Twitter, just watching these games. And the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about this week is actually the little guys, all right? And some of these schools have put together some really, really impressive winning streaks, okay? So I'm going to start with a few uh provide a little context and I want to get some of your thoughts on this and, and ask you a few questions, but some really notable winning streaks going on right now. First and foremost, the one that stands out to me is Davidson at 15. Bob McKellop, so much Leslie Nielsen and Bob McKellop has done a wonderful job with the Wildcats this year. They're on a 15 game winning streak. UNC Wilmington, the Seahawks, that's Kevin Keats's former team. They're now riding a nine-game winning streak. Princeton in the Ivy League has 10 straight. Houston, with without Marcus Sasser and battling a few other injuries at nine, I feel like a lot of people forget that Houston was in the Final Four last year. Uh, they are riding a nine-game winning streak. Boise State, Kings of Leon Rice, 13 straight there. Everyone's, I mean, the talk of the town, including us, we, we highlighted Colorado State in the Mountain West. Boise State's in first place. Now, they haven't played Colorado State yet, but they do twice here in the future. Auburn, of course, we had Burgo on last week. They escaped Columbia uh, a couple nights ago, and they've, they're riding a 16-game winning streak. I want to pause there for now. So I said Davidson, UNC Wilmington, which I, I can't imagine everyone has a beat on, Princeton, Houston, Boise State. Out of these, is there is there a team that really stands out to you with how impressed you are? Taylor, I'll kick it to you. Yeah, uh, Boise State actually is the is the team I'm a little, uh, you know, more interested than others. Um, they have some some good transfers. Actually, a couple notable notable transfers from Arizona that you know I have specifically caught, uh, you know, kept my eye on. Uh, but to go on that long of a win streak in the Mountain West, a, a conference that we've noted this year is is a is a is a decent enough conference, and they've done it really extremely under the radar. Um, this is a team who who will be ranked. They're not ranked right now, right? But they they will be ranked next year or next week, I assume. They just beat Wyoming uh, night before last. There, uh, actually, a really good Wyoming team uh, that only had three losses at the time. So uh, my focus is on Boise State uh, more than any of these other schools right now, just because they'll be tested enough coming down the stretch. Uh, you know, playing SDSU again, playing Colorado State, playing Utah State, that we might have a good uh, beat on them going into the tournament to, you know, maybe predict if they're going to make any noise or not. Shark, did any of these teams stand out to you? Happy to recap as well. The first one you said, Davidson. Um, I, they had two losses at the very beginning of the year, and they've ripped off, you know, 15 straight from those. So they're, they're a good team. Obviously, they got Young Jung Lee, who is probably the best player in the A-10, uh, but they also had Kellen Grady last year. So imagine if Kellen Grady never actually transferred, that backcourt was coming back. Davidson was good last year, too. I remember watching them in the A-10 tournament, and I, I forget who it was that they lost to, but they just had a horrible shooting performance, and they weren't able to get that bid. This year, they're in good shape. They actually, the night that we're recording this, they're playing VCU, which uh, could be a tough matchup for them 
kind of a closer line than you would expect. But Davidson's ranked within the top 25. They they have um, not only just Young Jung Lee, but also Foster Lawyer, who's playing great for them, the transfer from Michigan State. I mean, they got a good team. They got a good team, a classic Davidson-type team. Uh, it's just a matter of can they keep stringing them together, but they're they're going to be dangerous once it gets to tournament time. I'm I'm with you, Father. I'm I'm going with Davidson here as my most impressive team, and I certainly agree with the Boise State pick as well. Because, like I said, the toast of the the Mountain West has been Colorado State. But you look at the standings; it's Boise State who's number one. But what Davidson has done is really nothing short of remarkable thus far here this season. Entering the year, I think everyone said, "Look, the A10 is going to belong to the Bonnies." That hasn't been the case. Davidson has absolutely rolled after a one and two start losing to San Francisco. Who's no slouch. They competed. I put that in air quotes as best as you could with a Gonzaga team. San Francisco is always a bit of a thorn in people's sides. And then New Mexico state, to be honest with you, I don't have a beat on how New Mexico state's doing, but since then 15 straight. And I think what I need people to understand the, 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 the casual, the more casual fan, and I've tweeted this before. The casual fan knows about Roy Williams. They know about Jim Beheim. They know about Coach K. They they know about maybe even a, a guy like Chris Beard, who's an up and coming star, right? Or maybe he's established already. They know about Bill Self. We need to put Bob McKellop in like some of these living legendary coaches because he's coached one of the greatest NCAA basketball players ever in Steph Curry. He's amassed all of these wins. He's going to have his team in the tournament this year. Am I crazy in thinking that, look, Bob McKellar was not Bob Self or, or Coach K, but the, the, the casual fan needs to start thinking of him as a truly great coach, which in my opinion he is. I mean, the guy's got 623 career wins. That's pretty up there in terms of uh, the current coaching ranks. Um, I mean – it's going to be tough, I guess, to put him up there because I guess we'll never know what he would have done at a larger school. Um, you know, obviously he's been at Davidson for 20 something years or however long. How, how long has he been at Davidson now? Is he, anyone off the top of their head? No. I, like I said, I just feel like he's been there forever. Since 1989. So, yeah, that's the only place he's ever coached. He was a high school coach in Long Island uh, before he took over at Davidson. Um, do we, how, I mean, do we put him up there with the great ranking zone for a guy that's only coached at Davidson? Do we just give him, is it like a, an, a lifetime achievement award, maybe type of situation? I'm okay with that. But I think, I, I mean, I think you look at what he's done and I think obviously the Steph Curry year has really propelled people without Steph Curry. Not many people know about Davidson, but what they could have done is just sort of fade into the abyss. Bob McKellop still has these teams that with the move to the A-10 as well. Shark, am I crazy in, in putting Bob McKellop this high on a pedestal? I think you are a little bit crazy. Um, I, I think it's a, a – I'm not trying to take away from old McKellop over there, but I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. I do think he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for staying at a small school like that and being having a level of sustained success for a long time. I don't want to put him too high, but – you know, to take in a, I guess, the West Coast comparison to Davidson would be St. Mary's and Randy Bennett. Bennett's been there forever, too. They're good this year. Uh, that's a team not a lot of people are talking about, but, you know, they're the typical uh, St. Mary's team where they got the big dudes from international recruiting and all that. I think they're best players, some guy named Matthias. I remember watching a game where they played awful against BYU earlier this year, but I like the way they generally play. So St. Mary's. Good defensively, that's a good example of, uh, you know, in the Bob McKellop range. I, I think the premier level for that small school head coach that stays forever is going to be Mark Few. 
Uh, but outside of that, I mean, these guys are kind of three and four seeds in that group. I guess if we we're going to make an own bracket of small school head coaches. Sure. I like that comp and Taylor. I'll get to you in a second. I think another added layer for me though, with Davidson is because they are in North Carolina. So they got to compete with the Duke. They're not getting players like Duke's getting even wake forest is getting NC state's getting. Um, and, and you look at a guy like Kellen Grady. I don't know if he would have been on Kentucky's radar coming out of high school. But you go through the years with Bob McKellop, and now he's one of the most sought-after transfers. I think Davidson had another transfer go uh, go elsewhere maybe a few years ago as well. So I think being in North Carolina and competing with all those Tobacco Road teams in terms of talent, um, is it speaks volume to McKellop, in, in my opinion. Do we remember if uh, if he got any looks uh, at – at uh, other head coaching jobs, uh, especially after that w- run with Steph, I, I, I mean, obviously it was like 15 years ago, so I don't really remember off the top of my head. I don't really recall. No. And what what age? So he's 71. At what age do you think these coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, start to kind of stop getting looks? Is it 65 maybe where they're going to move up to another? You, you know, maybe yeah. move on to a bigger job. Probably about 65. Well, I think probably some of the older examples of coaches getting jobs would be Larinaga in Miami. Um, and then, I mean, even Rick Barnes with Tennessee, he was probably early to mid 60s. He was probably 60 when he got the Tennessee job. But if you look at like Ben Howland, I was another guy who was kind of old when he got the Mississippi, Mississippi state one, but yeah, McKillop, no chance in hell. He's going to go take on a new opportunity when he's that old. Yeah. And, and he's got a terrific thing. He's a legend there at, at Davidson. Larinaga is always funny to me for sure, because you go from George Mason to, to Coral Gables where there's palm trees, beautiful weather, sand. He's just old as fuck. Just, just retire right after whenever you're done. Miami having a nice little season, almost pulled off an epic comeback against Florida state. Um, I also want to just talk real quick about Houston shark. I'm pretty sure you're a Houston guy. But am I also crazy in thinking that they've been completely overlooked this year, having to deal with the injuries that they've done, and all they do is keep winning? All Calvin Sampson does is is win with this team. And I'm telling you, I swear, people have completely forgotten that they were in the Final Four last year. Maybe I'm wrong. I was a Houston guy last year. Uh, frankly, at this point, I'm not sure I would be. I know they keep stringing them together right now without having Marcus Sasser. Uh, but, yeah, these guys are ripe for a team that I'm going to be – angling to pick against when it comes time in March. They're going to be highly ranked. Um, they play a very tenacious style of basketball, but when you lose your two leading scorers during the season, that's going to take an adjustment. It's adjusted well so far, but I don't know. I mean, their only two losses are by one and two points as well. So they very well could be undefeated. That one loss is at was at Alabama, uh, a game that came down literally to the last second. And then their other loss was against Wisconsin. So it's not like they lost to bad teams either. I do kind of feel like Shark, though. I've never been a fan of this kind of version of Houston basketball. And I think for me, it's because... I, I just don't think that they're always good enough offensively in terms of uh, the people who are their style. And they, they always strike me as a very athletic team, just not one that can necessarily uh, finish all the time. I know that's not the case every single year. And obviously they were extremely good last year. For some reason, I just always have a hard time getting behind Houston, no matter what they show me, despite the fact that I look at their record and all the stats that go behind it. And my argument does not back up what what the numbers say. Their offense has been better than it normally is. They're probably ranked pretty high in Ken Palm, but I, I, at least this year, but 
a lot of it is against American conference teams. So I know they had that tight one against Alabama when they got lucky or they got screwed. Excuse me. Alabama got lucky. Um, no. If, yeah. That, sorry. My mind is warped. But yeah, I mean, they're beating like Wichita State and Tulsa. Yeah. Right. And and those two losses, Alabama, not looking very good the past couple of weeks. But that is one loss. And then, of course, Wisconsin, which is a, a good loss. So I since I, since Shark brought up Ken Palm, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it. Then uh, they are eighth ranked offensively uh, in Ken Palm. So I mean that's way higher than their than their general um, you know year over year uh, efficiency on offense. Uh, I guess Shark Palm would have them a little lower than that, but they are ranked fourth overall on Ken Palm. Yeah, Shark Palm factors in like you know the eye test. I wouldn't trust. I just remember them them in the tournament last year. Bottom right bracket, no big deal. But struggling to get buckets outside of Quentin Grimes and Sasser just chucking threes the whole time. Well, they ran into an absolute buzzsaw on Baylor. I mean, everyone everyone was getting their ass whipped by Baylor, except for Villanova. I think they had a a ten point lead at halftime. Shark, you know what what side that bracket was on? What what area that was? I looked at I looked at my new TV. I got cable. Done. Say it again though. <laughs> Nova Baylor. What was that? What was that? I think it was top right. Six, top right. Top right. Terrific. We mentioned a little bit about the SEC and Alabama. How the fuck is Alabama beating? I, I mean, they, they're losing to terrible teams, but they've also beat Houston. They beat Gonzaga. Weird, weird team. Uh, their rival in Auburn escaped against Mizzou, one of these teams that I had mentioned that's on a 16-game winning streak. Shark, you want to talk about, uh, real quick, Conzo not fouling with like a three-second differential down one and no timeouts? Um. I don't know. I, I didn't. I was watching the game. I don't know if that was what Conzo's strategy was. It could have just been the players not executing. I didn't care enough to listen to the post game press conference. That was definitely a choke. But I mean, uh, Auburn pretty damn well tested. Even if they would have fouled that game, there's no way they're really Mizzou's actually going to come back and win it. So I don't think it's as big of an egregious error as people made it out to be. But I mean, it is Conzo Martin, so you never know. I mean, it's an egregious error because we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of Quanzo and we're saying, okay, I believe in my guys to win. Of course, us, we're saying, yeah, it's not a big deal because it's Mizzou at the end of the day. Um, how long does the kiss of Titch last for? Like, is it only a only, week? Is it only a week? Okay. I didn't know if it was we're a game. It. I know. That's what I was worried about here. Okay. We're past Auburn's kiss of Titch. They, won, they, they beat Georgia. They beat Kentucky. Anything that happens from here on out cannot be attributed to us. Okay, good. That's what I was just – I mean, it doesn't matter, luckily, because they pulled it out, but I was just worried uh, that that was going to happen um, or we were going to get blamed in some way. If Ty Ty Washington didn't get hurt, maybe the kiss is still alive. Maybe That game was very different before that injury happened. Maybe we've turned a corner. Are we a good left charm now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of the, the verbiage that I'm using or the vernacular, I should say. Kiss the titch, I suppose, could work both ways. It's just that it's been negative of late, right? It's it's worked against people that we've talked about and guests, obviously Baylor and well, now it's positive. Was anyone, I wasn't surprised and I was very happy that they did get the number one ranking, but was anyone surprised that the, all the voters actually kind of fell in line and did what they should have done there? No, I mean, I think once you, well, maybe I suppose they're capable of anything, but I'm glad that that Auburn, did end up getting that number one seed or number one wrecking, I should say. They they handled Kentucky, obviously, with those injuries playing a part. But and goddamn, the jungle is what a job by Bruce Pearl, by the way. You look at the record, the final four, the the NBA players, the five stars that are coming there. That's all amazing, obviously. Look at an Auburn Stadium circa like 2014. 
and compare it to what we saw on Saturday. That place is a venue. Is Auburn a, or go ahead, Sark. Yeah, I was just gonna say he's an unreal coach. And I think, you know, as a Tennessee fan, I I believe that he should go and take that Louisville job and get out of the SEC, go join, you know, a top 10 titch ranked program in college basketball louisville auburn's not even sniffing the top 50 so i think it would be a great idea for bruce to go to louisville and coach them just to you know so i never have to face him again he just seems like he fits so perfectly at auburn though and kind of like falling right in line it was the same at tennessee though that's just who he is that guy is just a program builder well, um, right, so but it's but it's like are louisville fans gonna be take to bruce pearl the same way that auburn fans have why wouldn't they because I mean, he got fired from Tennessee for some somewhat scandalous stuff. I guess you know. Uh, no, but, yeah, I mean Louisville's familiar with that. But uh, so well, that's what I'm saying. So pretty, why? Yeah, no, I, but, yeah, that's my no, point. I I think it doesn't matter. He's a, he's a pro, and and the stuff that he got fired for Tennessee was, I mean, really petty things when you look back on it. Pearl's actually been accused of significantly worse stuff from earlier in his career before he even went to UW Milwaukee. Um, you know. <laughs> pretty much fighting with assistant coaches about things regarding recruiting and all that sort of stuff. The thing with Tennessee was he had Aaron Kraft over for a barbecue uh, and told people not to tell the NCAA about it. And sure enough, he gets the show cause penalty that went with it. So it's not the worst thing in the world. And we have plenty of other people that have done a lot worse. Ahem, Arizona, ahem, LSU, but schools like that. So people have short memories. This, I, you know, the moral police of sports, sports, excuse me, Lately, especially when you loop in the MLB Hall of Fame and people keeping out guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling because they don't like them and because they think they used steroids at one point and they got caught with it, but they have a bad attitude. It's just ridiculous. Sports fans don't watch sports for Boy Scouts. All right. We're not here trying to get the most ethical human beings out there. We're watching for the performance of it. So if you're mad at Bruce Pearl for having a cookout, you know, in West Knoxville, and getting some sweet peas delivered one day, then get over it because he's an incredible coach and you just got to appreciate it in the moment. Future uh, first four out, sanctimonious or just holier-than-thou sports people. Workshop that. But you know who I'm talking about. You you summarized it. You. Yeah. you summarized it beautifully. And actually, to put a bow on this, if we want to revert back to your point about you waging war against the Providence fans earlier this week, uh, and we also want to talk about a potential coach who could jump from a team that is not ranked in the Titch top 50 to a Louisville, Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley might might get the call there and go to Cooleyville. You like that? I don't even know if I need to workshop that. I do like that. Again, another guy. You know, get, Ed, this is greener pastures down there in Louisville. This is Kentucky basketball haven you don't have to worry about it in providence anymore uh you can go down you can really get into a, a very exciting fan base i've been to the kfc yum center and i've been to the dunkin donuts center the yum center is just terrific and beautiful right downtown bigger city a lot of going on right there you can go over to the kentucky derby each year put on one of your three-piece suits and have a blast so i think he's another great fit to go over to louisville you know i think the coach that i would look at um if I'm Louisville, and this is such a surprising thing to say, considering how we previously thought about this guy, but what do you think about Andy Enfield from USC going to Louisville? I mean, he's clearly proven now that he's not just Florida Gulf Coast. We're way past that point. Um, the amount of talent that he's been able to develop at a, at a very non-basketball school like USC, um, I, I think that would be personally a great fit. Not a guy that's going to demand 
um, a lot from the program. I think, you know, he's, he doesn't seem like a guy that is uh, extremely difficult to work with. Let's, let's uh, call it like that. Um, I think that'd be great. He's clearly shown the, the propensity to recruit. Well, clearly shown the ability to coach. Well, I, I think that's gotta be, if not number one, uh, if I'm Louisville, that's at least top three guy I'm looking at. Yeah, and you talk about Auburn and USC. They're obviously both football schools, but Auburn has a real chance here to win a national title, to make another Final Four run. USC, it's not a prestigious basketball school. Like if Andy Enfield left that, I don't think there'd be a huge head scratcher, despite the fact that they went to an Elite Eight and that they're winning ball games. So I do really like that Enfield pick. I also like the Ed Cooley pick. Here we are. What three? three and a half years after that whole scandal that was supposed to shake the bedrock of college basketball. Patino was a casualty of that from Louisville. He's now back at Iona, but here we are again now for Louisville and Kentucky's rising. Kentucky's always going to be there. So they need to get their act together for sure. There's one more father and you kind of referenced the team earlier, but another one that could potentially be a good fit there is your boy, Nate Oates at Alabama, a school that isn't typically a diehard basketball school. They're having it down season. Uh, Oates is a program changer as well. He's clean cut for all I know in terms of his background. And he, he was a hot name last year to get in Alabama to the Elite Eight. So I would expect him to be in the ring as, as well. Well, and if we're looking at, like, let's take Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl, I could see why he would potentially want to stay at Auburn considering everything that he has as developed there. That's uh, exactly got, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, the fan base, all that type of stuff. Like, he has created an entire well, program. I'll push back on that a little bit. I mean, Auburn is, is just kind of the hot narrative right now. So they're good. They're number one. But I, I, as someone that watches a lot of these games, I don't see much of a difference between the reinvigoration of Alabama's basketball program and that of Auburn as well. I know Auburn had that run of the Final Four a couple of years ago, and I know they're good. Uh, but Alabama was very similar to what we're looking at with Auburn last year. So I think they both have completely revitalized programs. Bruce Pearl's been the coach there for six years now. So it has taken him a little bit of time. Well, Nate I Oates mean, been there. It does. For, it does take. That's why. That's why I hate uh, Nate school. Oates. Nate Oates has been there for like three years at this point. So I, I think to I, I don't I guess if there was a point that you were trying to make and maybe it was direct or not, that Auburn is a better position right now than Alabama is. Yeah, right now on January 26, 27, I would agree with you. But if you were to ask people in the final, that Elite Eight run last year, everybody freaking loved Alabama. John Petty and Shackelford and all those guys that were lighting it up. And the, Oh, they're play diff- they play NBA-style college hoops where they shoot threes instead of worrying about everything else. So I think Alabama has been there, and they're just in a bad position right now. Stock's a little down. Well, I think really, I guess what I was, uh, the school I was trying to compare it to was actually USC. At least if you look at these schools like, like Auburn and I guess Alabama, people are excited about both of those schools, it's like the fans at least. USC went to the Elite Eight last year and were top 10 for most of the year. And USC fans still don't give a single fuck about USC basketball. At least Auburn be- ha- has shown that they're excited about basketball. And, would, and that could say like, okay, Bruce Pearl, yeah, maybe you've created not only a, a basketball program, but kind of a culture, including fans. USC still nobody gives a shit. So if you're, there's no chance to me that if Andy Enfield gets offered a job like Louisville, he doesn't. It's not like it's going to be like, oh, thanks to the best fans in the world. Like, no, it's, it's the same eight people that have gone to every game. I could yeah. see why Andy Enfield would just be like, yep, yo, peace out. I'm out of here. Goodbye. If you ask any Trojan fan what the best news of the past calendar year is sports-wise, they'd probably say Lincoln Riley getting hired. They'd completely bypass the Elite Eight. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see where and you which direction. you think they even realized that they went to the Elite Eight? Sorry to interrupt, but do you think no, they even remember I mean, going to the Elite Eight? 
I don't know. I think that's a very fair. I think that's a very fair question. I think that that is a very fair question. So we'll see what happens with those teams. Let's go ahead then and get to our interview with Drake assistant men's basketball coach, Matt Gatons. All right. We are thrilled to be joined by former Iowa, Mr. Basketball and all big 10 freshmen, all big 10 honorable mention, former Hawkeye and current assistant coach, at Drake University, it is Matt Gatons. First and foremost, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? I need to make sure about that. Yeah, yeah, Matt Gatons. Yep, you got it. Right. Matt, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, have the nerves calmed down a little bit from this past week? I mean, you've played two straight overtime games. You 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 rallied against Northern Iowa. On Wednesday night, you go into Normal, Illinois, which is one of my favorite names to, to travel to, but you play yeah. Illinois State and you pull out a nail biter in overtime. How are you feeling? Have the nerves sort of calmed down after that? Yeah, it's kind of just life in this league. It's just you don't really have a, a, a night off, especially on the road. You know, it's just you, it's it's so difficult to win on the road in, in most all leagues and venues, you know, in college basketball. But, uh, you know, the, the pull out two overtime wins against two quality teams. It's, you know, you're proud of your team for being able to kind of execute down the stretch and, um, you know, do some little things just to get wins, you know, this time of year, you know, we'd love for it to be a little bigger outcome, you know, a little, little bigger margin of a uh, victory, but it's fun for the fans. And, uh, you know, so I was talking to coach on the way to the game. I'm like, gosh, it'd be nice just to like, because we've won four games on the road. Now we're four and one and they've all been overtime or one point. And it's like, would be nice just to, have an easy second half one of these nights and just you know where you feel like you're up 10 15 20 but it's like it's not this league it's just not in the cards a lot of times yeah i hear you i mean look you're you're on theater in college hoops so as a neutral observer i'm sure it's not great for you uh and your coaching staff and your players going through this but for me as a neutral guy watching these games i'm loving it and you've definitely epitomized that as you as you mentioned let me ask you though because we were discussing a little bit about scheduling and you're hitting the road for recruiting later tonight how do you sort of adjust after coming off of a very emotional win a a a tough win on the road uh how do you adjust sort of from the X's and O's and the game planning and in the moment game itself to, okay, now I got to put on my recruiting hat, not 24 hours later. Yeah. You know, you're always kind of doing things with recruiting, um, staying in touch with guys, with players, coaches, you know, what have it, you know, family members, whatever it is. Um, so post game, you know, you might be hitting some guys, Hey, you see that game, you know, send them a score, you know, whatever. But, uh, and then the next day, you know, today we had a day off. So it's, you know, as an office this morning, and you kind of get clean some things up from last night film wise and, um, you know, some teaching clips and things for our guys. And then, uh, yeah, just got to kind of go to the next part of the job and, and hit the road and, and uh, you know, catch a game tonight, just to, um, watch what the guys were looking at. So it's, it's just part of the grind of a uh, college basketball coach. Yeah, you certainly wear many different hats. And like I said, I'm very fortunate and lucky to have you onto the program. For those that don't know, we have a mutual friend, obviously Mike Burgomaster, who we've dubbed actually best friend of this program because he's given us so much time, so much uh, so much energy, some great information. We might get, get you a nickname at some point, Matt. Um, but Burgo, here, what we usually do at the end of each episode, and I'll be doing this with you, uh, I ask our interview subject, like, hey, is there someone that, that – you would recommend jumping on and i want to give you this audio from from burgo about you but are there any names in the college basketball world anyone that you're close with that you think would enjoy jumping onto the program here and having a chat with us i think um 
I, you know, I, there's, there's a buddy of mine that was a, a grad assistant with me um, the year we won the SEC regular season championship. He's now an assistant coach at Drake. Um, you know, they, they just came off, you know, win in the NCAA tournament last year, you know, really good in Missouri Valley. His name's Matt Gatons. He's, he was also a really, really good player at Iowa. Um, you know, one of their, one, I, I don't know where he ranks as far as being a scorer, but yeah, let's, let's get him on the pod. I, I, I can make it happen. I appreciate that. I might let So you. some very, very glowing words clearly there from, from Virgo. Do you know where you rank, by the way? He didn't. Can you, can you tell him? In scoring? Yeah. Um, I don't know now. I think when I stopped, when my career was done, I was like six, but I think a couple of guys, I know Garza was there past us, but past me, but, uh, no, that means a lot coming from Virgo. I mean, that's for me be the first name he mentions on there. It's that's awesome. Cause he, he's a, he's a really good friend and obviously a guy was already doing big things in this game, um, but a, a bright future, you know, and what they're doing there is awesome. You know, number one this week is just incredible. So I'm really happy for those guys and you know, they got it rolling there. So it's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And you were part of, like Burgo said, you were definitely part of that building process and what Pearl is now sort of resurrected here and first ever number one ranking for the team. But I want to focus back on you and your high school days. So I was looking at some of the guys that may have crossed paths with you on the basketball court. Uh, obviously, like I had mentioned, you were Mr. Iowa. Did you share the court at all with a guy like, I don't know, Harrison Barnes or Jared Utoff, Marcus Page? Did you ever play against those guys? So Harrison was um, two years younger than me, I believe. I'm getting all right. Him and uh, Doug, might were, were two or three years. I was, you know, it's been a while. Doug McDermott. Um, so those guys were on the same high school team, <clears throat> which is pretty wild. You know, two dudes from Ames, Iowa. You know, both in the NBA and made huge names for themselves. That's um, terrifying. Oh and gosh. a wild story for that is like, so we, my senior year we had we had a good team. We ranked number one, but Ames was right there too. So we. And we Ames and Iowa City High aren't in the same league. Um, back then, you would never play each other regular season. Sometimes now they do. It's kind of changed. But uh, over Christmas, we did a, a, a scrimmage, like a closed scrimmage. Back you do like over Christmas break in Iowa. There's not like these holiday tournaments. But we just want to get some games besides practice. You're allowed to do scrimmages, and we did a kind of a closed scrimmage, and we met halfway in Grinnell, Iowa, um, kind of the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and played in this in a gym. Um, it was probably one of the best games no one ever saw because um, our team was – we had a really good team. We ended up winning state that year, and we were thinking we were going to play them probably at state, but they ended up getting upset um, in sub-state. So it was a really good um, battle of two – I mean, yeah, uh, our team had a lot of talent and, you know, two future NBA guys on their team. They had a, and then a couple other Division One guys with them as well. So it was a, an awesome game that no one ever saw. But uh, Harrison, yeah, I mean, he's a stud. He's – everyone knows him. And Doug – those are probably the two main ones like that you guys would probably know from my time. But um, I was a little older than Utah, so I didn't play against him much. And Marcus Page as well. I was probably four or five years older um, than him. Got it. Yeah, so it We've sounds like – good talent. Like I was I – was, I was, has been known, you know, some really good talent for, you know, our, a state our size and, and population. It's just a really good basketball state. You're absolutely right, and I, I'm go- about to get to that. You segued very nicely into my next question, but it sounds like to me that that scrimmage is almost like the high school Iowa basketball version of the close scrimmage with the 92 Dream Team. Like, that's right. the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, in our little small pocket of the world, that was probably the, the big deal of um, no one ever saw it. Was is yeah, a little different than that, I'd say. A little less talent than that, but yeah, same same idea. 
I'll tell you what, any scrimmage <laughs> compared to that probably has a lot less or even a little less talent <laughs> than, than what those teams were doing. And I mean, I know you had mentioned that those guys from Ames, you're from Iowa City, and you didn't necessarily play a ton back then, but is there sort of a trickle-down rivalry? Obviously, Ames is where Iowa State is, Iowa City where you went to school, Iowa, and we, a lot of people know about that rivalry. Yeah. Was there a bit of a trickle-down rivalry with the high school? Hey, that's pretty cool you know that, um, that Ames and, and Iowa and – Iowa State and Iowa City, Iowa. Um, you know, both teams, their mascots, like so where I went to school were the Little Hawks, you know, playing off the, the term Hawkeyes, and then they're the Little Cyclones. So it's kind of cool that way. And then, then they now play football since I since in the last few, probably 10 years, they they now have a football rivalry that they play. I think it's like right before the Iowa State game. And they play for a trophy now, which is pretty neat. Um, it's kind of changed. I think back then you didn't travel as far within the state to kind of play regular season games like that, but they do it now in basketball. I don't know if it's yearly, but I think they've played um, traveling a little farther, but we never did back then. Oh, it's very neat. It's very neat. You look across the country and some states, they don't have those professional teams uh, to sort of go all in and in for. So geographically, you're an Iowa State or an Iowa guy. And I'm glad you also mentioned some of these different sports. You had mentioned football. You had mentioned the talent, obviously, that's come out of Iowa for basketball. For me, not necessarily in doing a ton of research for this, but I was a huge wrestling state, isn't it? Right. You got huge names like Dan Gable, yep. uh, Kale Sonnen as well. I mean, these are names that I think we grew up with. We're pretty much the same age and I was a huge wrestling state. So I'm curious when you won Mr. Basketball and I'm sure you're a very popular name in the state of Iowa. How did that compare to some of like the wrestling names were you, and I'm going to make a terrible pun here. Were you wrestling for attention at all with yeah. some of your wrestling athletes there? Um, you know, it, no, it's it, football, wrestling has a big following. It definitely does. It's in the state wrestling tournament here is like a, it's a huge tradition. It's like a, a spectacle at, here in Des Moines. It's, it's all these teams come here and then, then crazy fans and they pack out like a 15,000 seat arena. It's pretty neat. Um, by the best state wrestling tournament in, in the country. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It, it, I think Iowa is very proud of that tradition and the, the two schools are two of the best for Iowa and Iowa state are two of the best, um, in the country, you know, Iowa with, when Dan Campbell was a coach and they won, I gosh, I don't know, 15 national championships or something crazy. I'm probably speaking wrong. And then they won one, um, recently with coach brand. So I, I, I still follow up closely being an Iowa fan. And I grew up, I grew up, um, around Dan Gable, luckily, cause just from the same, um, Lived in the same city and the same kind of group. Our parents were friends, and my dad knew him forever from being at Iowa. Um, so it was like he had a big impact on me. Just many time I was around him, getting to hear him talk, and so, always so motivational, like incredible. Um, always had like a nugget um, whenever you talk to him. Um, so then, then Coach Brands, who's at the at their um, university now, I still follow their program, and and and, and with, with with you know as a proud fan, it's it's fun to see them uh, do well. Yeah, absolutely. So. Anytime we're able to have a former player on that's played at the D1 level, we're fascinated by the recruiting stories and the recruiting pitches. I'm curious to know, so you played for two coaches, Coach Todd Licklider and also now the current coach, Fran McCaffrey. Licklider, though, can you tell us a little bit about your recruiting process as it pertains to some of the other schools that may have reached out to you? And then if you can talk a little bit about uh, Coach Licklider as well. Curious to know about that. Yeah, you know, my recruitment was pretty unique. I I, uh, I committed after my freshman season in high school to actually um, coach Alford, Steve Alford, who was here at the time. Um, and then he, 
um, departed going into my senior year of high school. So I committed to him, ended up, you know, recommitting to, uh, you know, staying with my commitment with Coach Licklider, playing for him for uh, two years. And then uh, uh, Coach McCaffrey, when he came after my sophomore year. So I, it's interesting. I kind of had, you know, my, my foot in all three programs with all three coaches, you know, um, in a certain way almost playing for all three because I was really close to the program being a local kid with coach Alford was here and going to practices and going to all the games and stuff. So, and they made me feel like part of the family. So uh, yeah, de definitely three different coaching styles and, and, and guys, you know, um, you know, coach Lick, you know, very, very relaxed, really good guy um, as they all are, but a uh, little different, you know, a diff little different temperament and style from a coach McCaffrey who, you know, come, when he got here, he was even younger and probably a little more fiery than he is now, which is, which is surprising. He's calmed down a little bit, but he's just really fiery guy, which I loved. Um, great energy, a, a, a really good coach and someone I've um, still stay, you know, close to to this day and always has your back and, uh, and, and is always fighting for you, which I think one reason why he's always so fiery at times with like officials and stuff, just because he's, he always has his players backs and, and, and fighting for him. But all three guys are great coaches. You know, coach Lick was only here three years, but, national coach of the year um, coming in here. And then now, now we're still actually in the same league where he's at Evansville. Um, so I get to see him now in our league. Oh, very neat. Very neat. Yeah. That's kind of like coming completely full circle, but I didn't right. know that, that Steve Alford was the one that recruited you. You had mentioned that you committed to him after your freshman year being an Iowa city kid. Was it really Iowa, no matter what, like, were you even entertaining any other offers? Um, not really. You know, my dad played at Iowa. Um, my mom was a cheerleader at Iowa. My one of my sisters was a soccer player at Iowa, and another one was a volleyball um, player at Iowa. So it was like it was just I grew up here, and I, it's, it was like my dream as a kid to play basketball here. You know, I um, went on an unofficial visit to Wisconsin my freshman year. Um, you know, I did a little thing with it. Um, my my dad had known Lou Olson, so they were kind of recruiting me in Arizona, but nothing like super serious. Um, and I received letters from other places, but it was just so early in my recruitment as a freshman. It wasn't like people blowing you up all the time, trying to get you to talk. Like it just wasn't like that. And I knew I, I knew I, I wasn't crazy about the recruiting process. And I, I really liked the guys here and the, the players and um, kind of just wanted to be one of those guys that, you know, was loyal and, and wanted to, you know, get it over with and then be, be a part of the program early and, and help recruit other guys um, to come along as well. Absolutely. So me and one of our co-hosts were Arizona guys, as a matter of fact. Did I hear you properly that your dad knew Lute Olson? That is unbelievable. Yeah, he actually played for him here at Iowa. So wow. when Lute coached here at Iowa, he my dad's last two years were under Lute. Um, and they kind of got rolling after him. Um, and they always stayed in touch. Like, they were always close to my dad. They now live in Arizona um, part of the year now. And when Lute was still um, around, you know, he'd go visit um tucson and see him once in a while just you know catch up and you know or whenever they had reunions down there so they, they always stayed, stayed uh stayed in touch very neat well I, I i'm gonna have to deliver some bad news to burgo that bridge is no longer how we're connected all right loot <laughs> our love for loot might have to be it all right i love it he, he's he was a heck of a coach and you know built one heck of a program there and he's super respected here in the iowa um you know Iowa fans love him. like he's just one of those like legendary guys in the state of iowa as well Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that you're a coach, obviously you want stability as much as possible, but as a player, you've gone through a coaching change like you had alluded to. Do you think that prepares you better for a coaching change if that were to ever happen in your career, right? I'm not talking about 
right now, but if whatever position you hold in the future on a bench, if there's a head coaching change, do you think what you went through as a player might help you better prepare situations uh, with your players and how to address that? You're saying if I was an assistant coach and our head coach left? Yeah, or in down the line at a different place, right? Um, or if you're a head coach and, and you leave for another head coaching opportunity. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, just in my experiences of, you know, dealing with it and kind of, you know, how, you know, it, things weren't going well. Like, that's a real probably reason unless something, you know, happens off the court why someone would, would get relieved of their duties, you know. Like, going through the negativity, then a new coach coming in and trying to stay positive and, 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 and resurrect it a little bit. You know, we were we were down, unfortunately. Um you know, just in, in, in right away, just him having the confidence to step in and, you know, you felt like, hey, this guy's going to help us get it through it and help us, you know, you know, change things around here. Um, now that, I thought Coach McCaffrey did a great job of that, you know, from day one. I remember when he first, his first meeting with us, he just felt, hey, we're going to, we're going to, you know, figure this thing out. I don't, I don't know how, who's going to be here tomorrow, you know, especially even now with the portal back then, it wasn't as easy to probably transfer where now, like, it'd be a max exodus, but which we had some guys and you just, you felt like, Hey, this guy's going to help us, you know, we're going to lead us through this thing and, and, and help um, start build this thing back up. So we've, I'm glad you mentioned the portal. We've seen this game evolve for as long as possible, right? You obviously played at the level, but I'm sure you watched college hoops even prior to that you were playing in middle school, but as now, uh, as part of recruiting is your job, Right what are some of the the obstacles that you've had to face with this transfer portal that you don't think maybe some other recruiters, maybe five, six years ago, even had to deal with? Um, Probably just the fear of what can happen to your team. You know, I bet back, you know, back then I don't think you thought as much about, Hey, these guys might leave just cause they can, you know, it was harder. It's harder probably now to like kind of plan out your roster you know, who's going to be here next year developing these guys and hey this guy's going to be a junior here in a couple of years and we're going to have this guy this guy you just don't know um you want to you know you, you know all you can really do is treat these guys the best you can and love on them and like and and, and help develop them and, and just do all that and hopefully they see value in that and they're having a good time and that's kind of our goal here like we we, we treat them really well um we, we we take we take a you know a lot of pride in player development and doing that and if if guys have the ability and they and opportunities to go elsewhere. The guys have done that, and we, you know, you wish them well. You you hope they want to stay here and keep building on what we've done here and keep winning, which is what we've done, and and, and still being a part of that. But not much you can do if sometimes guys just have a, a change of heart and want to want to try it somewhere else. But you know, we love our our, our style always is you know just player development and, and and being good people. That's the biggest thing we do. Yeah, absolutely, and and the MVC is gaining a lot more traction and notoriety in terms of teams that have made the tournament. Obviously Loyola Chicago has made a couple of good runs uh, and, and Porter Moser has since gone on to Oklahoma, but there are some, there's some really good competition in your conference uh, for sure. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. I want to sort of go back to your Iowa days though. And you alluded to this. It was a tough four years at Iowa record wise, if we're being brutally honest, yeah. and you had been upfront about that. How difficult was it for you to just sort of keep powering through and have perspective that things were going to get better? And at the very worst, you were going to be part of that inaugural 
group for Fran McCaffrey that has laid the foundation for guys like Jordan Bohannon and, and Luca Garza and the success that you've seen with the Hawkeyes. Was it difficult for like a 19, 20 year old kid to sort of see past the, the immediate record and say, okay, we got to keep showing up and, and laid the foundation for this program. Yeah. You know, very, very, very difficult. You're going through that and it's just, you want to win so bad and there's, you know, we weren't and you felt responsible. Um, so, so a lot of motivation, you know, a lot, a lot of things that kept me going were just, you know, the fans that stuck with us, you know, you know, people, my friends, people in the area and being a local kid, just like, I, w- I just wanted so bad to, to, to make it work and, and not be known as a guy that was there when it was really, really bad, which, you know, some people might remember that, but other people remember at the end, you know, we kind of changed around or one of the, you know, kind of building blocks of, you know, what they've been able to accomplish there here in the last 10 years. Um, so that's kind of what we, you know, I think our group took pride in kind of being one of those, the first team to kind of get it going the other way. And we made the NIT my, my senior year, um, which that team was, it was a lot of fun. And it was, a, it was a huge deal for us. You know, now it's like Iowa make the NIT, makes the NIT. I don't think it's probably as big of a deal to a lot of fans. Maybe it's a disappointment, which is, you know, that's good. They have different expectations now, but, uh, Back then, it was a huge deal. Our first round game, we were able to play uh, Dayton at home because they were hosting the uh, first four for the NCAA tournament at their gym. So we were we were, we were the worst seat, but we were able to host it, and it was it was probably the most ruckus like wild crowd um, that we ever had, just because they, they didn't have like normal season tickets, and it was just like the regular public came and like they like packed the house. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, um, but yeah, you just there were some dark, there were some tough days, you know, as a young, you know, 19, 18 year old going through losses and not really knowing what's going on. Um, going into the next season with guys, we had to let guys transfer and leave just because they probably, you know, saw greener pastures elsewhere, but uh, for the guys that stuck around and, and, and getting through it, um, the last year was, was, was a lot of fun, you know, um, and then something we'll, we'll always remember. Postseason play is crucial. No matter if it's the NIT for someone like a, a guy that I'm sure you've wanted to play at the highest level, if you're not able to get to the NCAA tournament, NIT obviously the next best thing. And I'll tell you what, Matt, yeah. I know I know for a fact real ones like real fans of these college basketball teams, they'll remember that first group that Fran McCaffrey had and the guys that stuck around and battled through. Like I. Just for example, I could name pretty much all of the players uh, from Sean Miller's first year yeah. at Arizona after the the Russ panel taking over for loot. So, you know, I'm sure you are still uh, in the great graces of yeah. the people in Iowa. People and people will stop me and, and say that, like, you know, I appreciate you always sticking it out. It's awesome. And that, and that makes you feel really, really good. Like, it's awesome. But at the same time, like, yeah, I wish I would play the NCAA tournament, though. Like, <laughs> deep down, but. It's always nice when you know Iowa fans are great and they they, they say things like that. But uh, well, yeah, the NCAA tournament's always goal number one. Even as a coach now, you always want to get there. Right. So that's what I'm thinking. I think you you've got some good karma that you've already received, right? You had that <laughs> Auburn run. You got oh, yeah. uh, Drake last year, and we'll get into that here in a second. But uh, a few more questions about you individually. So after college, you played professionally in Europe and in the G League, but you tore your ACL right as the season began what was going through your mind when you were, when you were injured? Like, did it click immediately that, Hey, my playing career is done. I got to focus on something post playing career, or was it a little bit more deliberate? You know, right away, I didn't think I'm done because I, I I told myself I wanted to come back just so I would attack the rehab 
the right way and not get lazy with it and not, you know, get back to full health for my personal life. But uh, so probably midway through it, I was just like, I, you know, um, my wife and I had a son um, when we were in France the year before and we we're just, you know, starting to build our family and um, just felt like it was the right timing, you know, to, to um, make a career switch. And I had a lot of time to think and maybe reach out to different people and, and figure out what I wanted to do. And um, one of those people was, you know, Coach Pearl at Auburn. And that's when that relationship started with now Burgo, you know, once I got down there, I met him. But uh, um, so, yeah, he, and he was incredible to me and, and gracious to my family, you know, offering me a position like almost right on the spot, right when my first conversation, just like, hey, you know, I have an opening, you know, it, it's come join us here. We got a great thing going. And we're, we're like, they were kind of in the process of building what they're doing now. So it's fun to kind of get there, be there on, I probably rock here it was maybe year two or three um, of coach Pearl being there was when I got there. And then, um, you know, had a, we had a really fun year that year being ranked in the top 25. I think we rallied off like 18 straight wins at one point, um, won the league for the first time in like 20 years. And then uh, got to the tournament uh, as well that year and but lost in the second round. And then the next year they did the final four thing and all that. So to be a part of that and with coach pro, you know, giving that opportunity, you know, you know, you know, forever, um, you know, thankful to him. When you first got to Auburn, could you see what this was blossoming, blossoming into where are we now? Like four or five years later down the road in your mm -hmm. wildest imagination. I said earlier on the program that when Pearl got to Auburn, right. The jungle wasn't what we saw on Saturday against Kentucky. It's now one of the coolest, loudest, yeah. most difficult venues in college basketball. Did you ever in your wildest imagination see this uh, ascension in four or five years? You know, he's incredible with the fans and, and getting energy behind. Like, he's a very, very intelligent guy and, like, high energy as what everyone sees on TV, but just very smart, you know, uh, marketing genius, you know, always giving ideas to people. Um, and people love him down there. Like, they love that energy. He's because because he's he's genuine and has a big heart you know always smiling which is awesome um that year i think the year prior to you know they had a little success and they were starting to get some really good crowds and, and you know for the big games but th that year you know the the run we kind of went on and, and really starting to get a lot of national attention that year um was pretty unique and and you know rallying rallying off a bunch of wins in a row and then competing for an sec title it, it started to really um generate a lot of momentum and it was it was it was but midway to the end of the year, it was packed. Uh, not not by the point like the student section is now, but it was getting there. Um, so it was a lot of – that year was just a blast. Like uh, beating Kentucky at home there, you know, Alabama. Like it was just some incredible crowds and energy. And and and, and to, to, to go on a run like that was – in my first year of coaching, I was just like, oh, man, this thing's – this is fun, you know, getting to be able to do things like this. Every year must be like this, you know, yeah. just anything else. But uh, it was very unique and a special year. Right. I mean, like this is coaching karma for you, man. You, you weren't able to experience this postseason success in, as a player, but you're getting it now as a coach. And I want to talk a little bit about your tremendous start to your coaching career. Like I said, you're my age. I feel like I haven't done a quarter of the nonsense, like stuff that you've done. You've had a really, really strong start with Auburn and now Drake. Let's talk a little bit about Drake. You won the MVC title in 2018-19. And you've had back-to-back 20-win -back seasons, which is a huge deal. I feel like people do forget sometimes, though, that the state of Iowa, there's some really solid programs there. you got Iowa State, 
they've had runs with the George Niangs, right? And 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 the Melvin Edgems. They've had their really good teams. We talked about Iowa, Garza, Bohannon, uh, all of the Peter Jock, all of these really good Hawkeye teams, even UNI, right? You think about Ollie Farouk, Manesh. They have a, mm-hmm. a, a big time moment in NCAA basketball history. Even Paul Jesperson, poor guy. I feel like he gets overshadowed by the Farouk Manesh shot, but Jesperson hit hit a half quarter against Texas. Texas or was it UTEP? I forget. Um, I want to say Texas, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Texas, which unfortunately has contributed to Shaka's no wins at the tournament for him, but he's yeah. doing great at Marquette now. Yeah. But that's all that to say that Drake was in the tournament last year. Coming off of that, do you do you guys sort of have this feeling like look, the expectation is NCAA tournament bid? And number two, all these other Iowa teams have made it a moment in the tournament. Let's do that here in recent memory. Is that something that's going through the, the locker room? Yeah, you know, getting in the tournament last year and winning a game was a huge deal. Um, just doesn't happen. I mean, it was our first tournament win in, in, in the NCAA tournament in 50 years here at Drake. So this, to, do that, to do that last year was a big moment for the city and the, and the school. So we were, we were proud of that. But at the same time, with everyone coming back, majority of our team coming back, we're like, let's go do it again. And we felt like um, we had a team to do it. But at the same time, it's, just, it's so hard Um at the mid-major level to get these at-large bids. You know, that, that was goal number one coming the year. We scheduled, you know, tried to schedule it up in the non-conference. We were playing the Disney tournament, had a couple of our neutral sites. One of them, unfortunately, um, got canceled with COVID. But uh, so we scheduled up. You know, we, we didn't do too well in the Disney tournament, going 0-3 against three really good teams. Um, three games we really thought we could have won during the game. So it's unfortunate. But I think that's helped us now figure th- some things out. Late game, you know, you know, figure out ways to win. Um it's benefited us, but uh, yeah, you know, we it's the expectations have gone up here, but at the same time, it's it's still really difficult to get there. You know, at the end of the day, it's usually you know probably got to go win three games in St. Louis at the tournament unless you have a really special year, um, like Loyola, Loyola's having a good year. You know, us last year getting that large bid, um, it's still possible, but it's difficult. So um, I mean, just you know, gotta try to keep winning games and keep trying to play your best basketball come March. I really do appreciate your transparency, man, because I feel like a lot of times people will play the political route, but you understand as a mid-major in the MVC, like you had mentioned, it's probably going to take you winning Arch Madness. What is it going mm-hmm. to take this particular Drake team uh, to do? And and I've always been curious, right? Like if the players sort of think about that, they say, okay, we got to win the conference tournament to get this auto bid. Does it ever, does complacency ever f- slip in during the regular season? If you're like, all right, all that matters is the tournament, when in reality, that's not the case. Do you ever fear about that? No, it's at least not with our groups here, you know, because every year we've really been chasing something. And, you know, our, our second year, um, our first year, my bad, we won the league, league, the regular season title. So every, every game mattered so much chasing that. Like, you know, momentum starts to kick in, like, hey, these games really, really matter. I, I could see where if it, you're kind of falling in the middle of the pack, I know what you're saying, like, hey, are we really – what are you really playing for? But like, luckily we've had guys that are competitive as, as, as heck and really want to go win every night. And, and this year, some of these close wins we're getting, I think it's starting to pick up like, Hey, the guys are starting to feel like we it's, it's there in front of us, a league championship we're right there or second place with Lyle. got a game with Lyle this weekend coming up to, um, you know, share first place, depending on how they, how they do tonight. You know, it's a huge game. And like, like these games all are starting to really, really 
matter for what we want to get done later in the year, just like last year, which is what I felt like when we started off 17 and 0. You just felt like every game was just huge. It was like the Super Bowl, which, you know, kind of brings out the best in the guys, um, which that always helps. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not going to lie. Like, when you're playing for something so, that big every night, brings out a little bit more on you, like you're talking about. But if you're in the middle of the pack, you know, you kind of got to figure out things for near the back, figure out things to kind of get you going each night besides the fiery competitiveness of, the, of winning that game, you know. So those bigger things always definitely help. And it's, like I mentioned, it's, it's just harder now, you know, with the 20-game schedule, the um, Power Fives, you know, they have so many more quality games, so it's hard to get your numbers up. But it's not impossible. Like, we did it last year. Um, it was a special group and a special season. And we could do it again down the road, absolutely. Yeah, it was a special group. And we also talked about transfers, but every single tournament for me, Matt, there's one moment where I'm like, okay, now it's the tournament. My ass yeah. is in gear. I'm like off the couch. Yeah. It might be a dive for a loose ball. It might be a big three-point shot. And it usually comes in the playing game, which is what you guys were in last year. Can you can you pinpoint or can you sort of be clairvoyant here and guess what I'm about to tell you was the moment where i was like okay this tournament is underway you know what i'm talking yes, about food dunk. it was the yes of food dunk yeah. man that thing was an absolute hammer against wichita state yeah. you ended up winning that game but when yes threw that down i was like all right the march madness is absolutely here can you can you sort of take me back to that moment on the bench when yeah. you saw that um you first of all you, it was it was kind of a, like a rock fight of a game um we we were struggling to get really get going. Those um, those playing games usually are, aren't they? Yeah. I feel like it's the tight rims. There was no one in the stands. And oh, yeah. It's your very first game nerves. Those playing games usually are like oh, that. It's tight rims. We were playing at Purdue, which I you know I've obviously played at being in the Big Ten, and it's those are some tight rims. Um, it's always kind of one of their known things. But so I knew going to that game, like we might not be making some shots, boys. They made us drive an hour north to Lafayette, West Lafayette from Indianapolis for playing playing games. Was like. So, you know, you get off the bus, you know, you're just trying to – everyone's trying to get their you know bearings. It's first game of the tournament. So it was just kind of an ugly game um, to start, and we were struggling to score. Luckily, we were guarding pretty well and staying in it. And then that – yeah, that play kind of got it going for us um, a little bit. Um, and then, like you said, it probably was a little bit of a jump start to the tournament, the first highlight, and kind of kind of got it going. Um, and then, you're, you know, you're happy for him. You know, you see, uh, you know – anytime when your guys makes a big play like that, you're, you know, you're excited. So it was – but it was good. It, was, it definitely – it kind of jump-started us as well. Oh, it was it was such a welcome to the tournament moment yeah. for me. I mean, this is what we work for, right? Obviously, you guys work much harder than a podcaster, but this is what we're we're up yeah. uh, burning the midnight oil watching. On like, the bench, you're like, man, we finally broke the seal. Maybe like that. Now we're gonna start making some shots and you know start start to get that offense going. He busted it open. Yeah, I, I I remember Arizona played uh, Wichita State earlier this year, and Travis not Travis Etienne, excuse me, Tyson Etienne. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a ball player. I can't imagine what the scouting report for him was going into that game. Uh, he he was I want to say he was player of the year in the league if I'm, if I'm or co player, but um yeah our dude our DJ Wilkins our guard um our best defender held the one point that game, so it was huge key to us winning that game was him just kind of locking him down and um was happy for him because he just busted his tail that whole game. That's a, yeah, that is true. I, I forgot about that. Um, you mentioned that this team last year, I'm always curious to know what's it like being a bubble team? 
because you were a bubble team <laughs> last year, if 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 I'm not mistaken. But yeah. we all the, all the people see are like when Greg Gumble's announcing and revealing the teams, all they see are like you guys in an auditorium or I don't know at the gym, just yeah. gathered around. Can you take us through Selection Sunday uh, for us? Because yeah, can you take it? Because obviously yeah. you didn't win. Win the yeah. Take us through Selection Sunday for you guys. Um, well, before that, like our last game in the regular season, you know, we were fighting for, we knew it was going to be close um, to have a chance, you know, with the resume, you know, not as many opportunities for big quality wins, but we were, we had some good ones and um, had a pretty good resume. We were right there. Our numbers were great. Um, we lost at Bradley last game of the year for a chance to win the type of the title, win the regular season title. And they were down a bunch of guys and we, we were, we had multiple injuries as well. Two of our starters were out. Um, Miss, miss, missed the down, the um, home stretch last year, which which was difficult. But our guys, you know, stepped up. So we lose that game, and it's just like this total deflation in the locker room. You know, we lo- we lost a chance to regular season title. We think we maybe blew the chance for a tournament um, at large bid. It's like now we got to go win three in St. Louis. Um, we go down there. We we, we beat. Um, we had a, we had a COVID cancellation with you and I, which was a which was a wild story. And then. Um, we beat Missouri State on a buzzer beater um, by Yesfu as well. Hit, hit a shot there, um, and then we lose the finals to Loyola. So we were like, we're so close again. We think, you know, have we done enough? We beat Missouri State in the tournament, thinking, you know, that's another quality win. So we think we have a chance. So you know, here comes Selection Sunday. Um, nervous, but I'd say is probably the best word. You know, you're just on edge. You can't wait wait for it to um, to find out. And then where they, were you guys? To... Where were you guys? We were in our gym. We have like a hospitality area suite up there we were um hanging out watching on a, on a projector had had family there but it was pretty limited because of covid you know maybe a few boosters i don't i can't remember but uh very limited with family um which was unfortunate because you know, normally you probably have to you know open up the stands and maybe get a bunch of uh, fans there but um we we're i remember they called our name like in the first 10 names like it was really early so it was just like it was just like a you know, a train coming through like early in that thing, like, and everyone just exploded, like, gosh, thank you know. And then after, you know, after everything kind of settled down, you know, like, I remember us coaches being like, you know, thank God we didn't have to wait for like the last region and last name called, you know, they just, we got it over really fast, like, like a band aid getting, you know, found out really quick. So that was, that was, that, that helped, you know, the nerves of watching the show. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is nerve wracking, man. Were you or any of the coaches or the players, were you just scrolling your phones, trying to see any sort of inside information, maybe a leak or were you looking um, at like all these, all these college basketball analysts, they have now produced their own bracketology, right? Yeah. Were you looking at those to say, okay, are we in, or are we out? Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you can't help it. You know, I think you've tried to tell your players and everything like, Hey, you know, just try to stay focused on the game. You know, that stuff will take care of it. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Like you're, you're checking bracket matrix and, uh, Lenardi and, you know, all the guys just to see like, you know, does he have us in today? Gosh, you know, which doesn't help the nerves and all that, but it's, it's fun. That's why we're doing this. And it's, it's, it, it keeps you, you know, motivated. And it's, it's fun. I always yeah. love doing that. Um, you know, following it and seeing who's in and out. And then when you're actually in that situation, it's, it's tough, but it, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, then the moment, you hear them and then then you know coach is like all right who's got the scout and we're trying to figure out who should probably have it and then uh i i took it for wichita and i just remember uh-huh. him being like hey i'll call you in an hour or so see what you got i'm like coach i'm just, I, like I'm, I'm still just trying to find the games and get the games you know it might take a little longer than an hour to give you an idea of what we're going to be facing here in a few days but uh um 
I know that, that was a long night and a long couple of days, but luckily we, you know, we got there, the bubble and all that. And then we couldn't even like meet. So everything was on zoom for the first part of meetings with the team and like going through the scout and doing that. Um, but I had a lot of time myself just in my room to kind of get a lot of the work done. So that, that was helpful. That's crazy. Had you, had you conducted zoom meetings earlier in the year? Because obviously COVID now we're entering what, like our junior year of this thing. Have you did did you have experience doing that or was this the first time you had to hold these team meetings with the biggest game of the year coming up? That was the first time we did probably a real scouting, something like that, like a reporter, you know, of that magnitude. You know, we had, I think we had probably had a few meetings for sure when they were at home, when the when COVID was really going on during the summer and all that, but uh, never like, I don't think we ever did like a scouting report and stuff, but it was early. I can't remember, you know, it might've been Monday or Tuesday when you know, we were playing, I, I get that. I guess we played on Tuesdays. I, I mean, it happened pretty quick. Yeah. So it might've been one of those first meetings that was pretty important that we had to, you know, kind of talk about a few things and at least give them an idea of what we're going to face. Yeah. You talk about really quick. I, I don't know why I feel this, but if I were a, a part of a bubble team and I see my name up there, right. My team's name, you go crazy. You start hugging everyone. Yeah. And then Gumble says they'll be playing Wichita <laughs> state. And yeah. so I feel like I would miss that. I feel like I would miss oh. who the hell we're playing. Did anyone say sort of like, oh shit, they've moved on to the next matchup. Who are we even playing? Yeah, I remember it being like, you know, obviously crazy excitement. Everyone's hugging. And it's like, who are we playing? You know, like, oh, we're, you know, we're in the playing game and all that. And it's like, who cares? We're in it. And it's, you know, we, from there we had to figure out, you know, the story on Wichita and then everything, how they played. That's awesome. So then you run into a very good Trojans team, a team that ended up going to the Elite Eight. And I feel like there's a bit of a, a consistent parallel between the two LA schools. And I'm curious to know, did they, did these LA schools, UCLA and USC teach you anything? Were you able to learn anything from those experiences? Because UCLA was in the exact same position that you were in the first four playing game. They end up going to the final four USC. Did that act like a measuring stick to you? Like for these two schools, did you guys say, Hey, we, no matter where we are in this tournament, we've just seen a team like UCLA go from first four to final four and then going up against a team like USC, where you sort of saying, okay, here's the area for improvement. Curious to know if if you took anything away uh, from that tournament, specifically from those two schools. Uh, USC, I would say, just recruit really, really long guys. <laughs> like, I, that was the longest team I'd ever faced in our life. Like, yeah, Evan Mobley's a pretty good oh ball my, player, huh? Oh, my. Like, from top, from I know the point guard might have been that big, but from like two through five, it was just like, inspector gadget arms all over the place like trying to shoot shots in the paint it was tough you know um but no like the, the, both those teams had a great run I, think, I don't think anyone really realized how good um both obviously ucla being in the playing game but usc i think they had respect but like for them to do what i think then they went on to um take out kansas you know pretty handily after us and then um you know go with lead eight so um good coach any infield he he um, one of the guys I coach with, coach with him at Florida Gulf Coast. So that we had um, with with Dunk Dunk City down there. So uh, had a close connection there with, with with that one. So it was fun playing against him. But uh, um, just a, you know, two good teams that caught momentum, and you now they've carried on to this year. You know, UCLA is having a great season. I, I watched them um, a couple nights ago in the hotel. You know, that's that's a really good team. With obviously, really good players. But um, you know, Mick Cron's a good coach as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. Let's have a little fun here now. I want to do a little bit of rapid fire questions. Uh, put on your player hat. 
right now. Go back to when you were a player at Iowa. What was the best venue that you played at at Iowa? It could still be in the Big Ten. Any out-of-conference games, I'm talking like fired-up fans. They might be completely hanging over you, pointing down (laughs) at you, cussing you out. I mean, I'm talking about a venue where you got juiced up and it was the best place or the toughest place maybe to play. Um, You know, the Big Ten, I'm trying to get any any unique ones, non-league. You know, the Big Ten – I always tell people Purdue is really unique. Um, I know I already mentioned, mentioned playing there there in the um, first four, but that's a pretty cool venue, the, and the students are just on top of you. All I remember there is, like, you're in a timeout, and they have this they, – they have to have the biggest brass band. Um, it's just, like, every trumpet, trombone they probably can find in West Lafayette's in this band right behind the hoop, and you cannot hear a single thing that uh, you know, your coach is saying in the timeouts. You're just nodding your head, you know, and he's drawing something on the board. You just – can't hear anything because it's all right there and they're on top of you. That's so that's always one I always talk about. Minnesota's really unique. Um, with the you know, you're kind of raised up and it's in the barn. Um, so that's always a just a cool college venue. It's you know, you're raised up on like a stage and the fans are below you. Um Michigan State's always ruckus. The fans are there right right before the game. I remember that that one I remember uh pregame, you know, the students like coming over like talk asking about your your family like you know like just like stuff like personal stuff and, it's just, and I, I always laughed it off i always thought it was pretty funny like whatever um you know good for you for doing some research um and then indiana that's always a really cool one too just like i always like the unique venues i don't love like the pro arenas like ohio state wisconsin we they get awesome crowds in that but like the uniqueness of like a purdue um uh minnesota you know those like Indiana, you know, in the tradition there, and it's just unique. Um, the the sides, the sides there. I don't know if you've ever been there. Just like they go up forever. Like it's just just a huger place. It's it's pretty. It's like you're fun. performing on a theater, right? Like everyone's yeah. just looking in at you. Yeah, and like the students kind of sit on the the baselines, but the the sidelines, like it just goes up forever, and it's like on top of you. It's 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 pretty impressive. Very cool. So let's flip it and reverse it now. What were some of the lamest arenas that you played yeah. in? I mean, you walk in and you're like, there's zero juice in here. I mean, um, probably Northwestern at times. They didn't, they know, they always draw great. Penn State, um, just a huge pro arena, but they didn't always draw well. So that was always really an empty one, um, which is unfortunate. Um, Yeah, so some of those maybe, like those huge arenas that just don't draw well enough. I want to ask the exact same question, both, you know, great arenas, tough arenas to play in, terrible arenas, no juice, but now as a coach at Drake. Oh, Drake. Um, that's some good ones. Because um, I feel like a lot of people know about the Indianas, the Allen Fieldhouse, yeah. Michigan State. Tell us a little bit about the MVC if you can. Yeah, it's a it's a fun league for venues. Um, I'm trying to think of the best. You know, we we played at Northern Iowa the other day. That was you know it's always an in state rival, so that's always going to draw really well. So, but that was a, that was a fun environment. Um, you know, Loyola does pretty well. You know, Missouri State just trying to go through them. Um, you know, um, there's some really nice venue. Like Evansville is a nice venue. Indian State, Indian State's a big one. Southern Illinois is another big one. Um, uh, normal last night. You know, that's a that's a nice big venue. So, you know, some of them aren't drawing great um, as of right now, but like in the past, there's always been really good crowds. You know, Southern Illinois is always a really good one. Um, so yeah, one of the most unique ones we've played in um, here was. Um, we got to play at the U.S. Bank up in Minneapolis. 
in a deal prior they were going to host the final four uh gosh three or four years ago that's the um, viking stadium right the vikings yeah so yeah. it's just a gigantic stadium indoor um but they had to do like a test run so so we played up there against north dakota state and then northern iowa played uh somebody i think south dakota state after us so it was just four kind of local somewhat local mid-major teams playing up there just to, like it was like a test run for them to figure out things but it was a you know it was a neutral site real game with real fans and this was it was just fun to play in there with a gigantic stadium like there's there's a good crowd there but it looked like nothing you know compared to what that place holds so that was a really fun experience that i always um, like to talk about venues are always fascinating to me man it's, and i mean I feel like a lot of players, they feed off the energy and the juice of a, of a riled up crowd. And so it's always interesting to hear in different conferences uh, across the country, who has some of the best venues and which have, I guess, uh, some that have areas of opportunities. I want to ask you though, about conference tournament play. Now it is my personal thought that people undervalue conference tournaments because everyone's got their eyes on the prize. Everyone's looking forward to the NCAA tournament, but some of the coolest, most fun, craziest endings and shots and dunks defensive plays happen in conference tournaments. I mean, you have all these teams playing back to back to back. It's a grueling, grueling stretch for a lot of these teams. But what I found is that there is a ranking or a hierarchy of conference tournaments. Everyone loves the big East in Madison square garden. Right. They, they, it evokes a lot of great college basketball memories. But for real diehard college basketball fans, what I find is that there's something very charming about Arch Madness in St. Louis. People love mm-hmm. Arch Madness. Why do you think that is? You know, it's interesting. So, you know, growing up in the Midwest, you know, I was always an Iowa fan. So I followed the Big Ten. But I, I but I like, I, I, I stayed in touch, you know, following you and I, Drake, um, growing up and, or if I knew other coaches um, in the Valley. So I always watched it and I always thought it was really cool. So it's always fun now to be a part of an experience, you know, kind of watching it as a fan, as a kid growing up, it's, it's unique. Um, and I think it has to do with it being earlier. Um, it's a week early. So it kind of gets the first attention a little bit, you know, the finals are on, on CBS. I think the semifinals are, you know, CBS or CBS sports. Um so it's it's it gets a lot of attention and eyeballs um, being early. Um, it's always been in the same place or city, you know, since I've known it. Um, being St. Louis, um, and fans travel well. You know, a lot of a lot of the different schools, you know, it's located well, so that's smart by them um, for the most part. Um, so fans travel well, and it's it's a fun city for the fans. You know, it's it's pretty walkable, things like that. You know, usually it's pretty good weather, you know, not, not, not great weather. I'm not going to say that, but, but okay. Weather come March down there. Um, so it's and the city embraces it. So that, and that's another big part. I always felt that with in the big 10, I always, we always played at Indianapolis and then now they've rotated at Chicago. I think New York has gotten it. Um, but I always felt Indianapolis like really embraced it just like they embraced the final four last year in the bubble, like the, the city, like this, the city's just all, all in for it. And, and, and I feel like, that with St. Louis, um, they really take pride in it. Um, you can feel it like walking around all the signage and all the different restaurants and things and the different host hotels and stuff. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun weekend. We all, we always look forward to every year. It looks like a blast. I'm in Chicago, so I may just take the jaunt down to the border, get to St. Louis and check out the MVC, uh, Arch Madness. Yeah, come on like down. I, hey, hey, yeah. look, I, Hey, at this point, because you came on, you're my guys now. Yeah. Okay. You, 
Auburn. Uh, <laughs> we had we had David Miller, who's an assistant coach at San Jose State. So San Jose State's our yep. guys as well. So you're you're in that stable right now, Matt. Come on down. I got tickets for you. If you want everyone come down to Arch Madness, we got you. You're too kind. You're you're way too. Yeah, we're Drake Blue though. No no loyal uh, yellow or whatever they were Chicago, but none of that. Nothing. Hey, if you need an extra set of eyes when you come to Chicago, for, you let me know. I, I can it. get. Hey, I'm I'm doing dry January right now. We're on hole thirty, so I don't have. A, I'm not doing a lot of stuff. I, I'm happy to go to a game. Hey, uh, I'll get you out of here on a, a last couple questions. First and foremost, were you more nervous as a player or a coach? Oh, that's that's tough. You know, um, you know, as a player, looking back now, you always like you always felt like you had more control. You know, as a coach, it's you know, it's a lot of it's out of your hands. You know, you, you try to prepare them and do all that and help them during the games and, and all that. You're not the one out there doing it and impacting the game as much. So that part's hard. Um, good question. Um, maybe, maybe as a coach, you know, I, didn't, I don't feel like I ever got super nervous as a player. Um, I'm not going to say I get that super nervous as a coach, but maybe it's just, it's just kind of a different feel not being able to, you know, have your hands on the ball and, 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 and impact the game that way is what I would say. Yeah. That, 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 control aspect yeah. that you had mentioned i think a lot of people have to come to terms with that when you're recruit, on the side recruit good players that you that are reliable and play hard they, they that helps um take care of some of the nerves that that this guys you you know you trust and they're gonna make good decisions yeah i mean I, i'm gonna be laughing at that clip of of your takeaway from usc get guys that are yeah. long history branches man oh you're right like we had mentioned i mean evan mobley probably nba rookie of the year so yeah. at least you can say you, you went toe-to-toe with that <laughs> so yeah. i i also saw a little nugget uh you were i don't are you still represented by bj armstrong or you were represented by bj armstrong yeah as a player i was you know as, as assistant coach you know, i don't have an agency um but um yeah as a player you know, when I got them playing at Iowa, you know, you go through the process of kind of figuring out agencies to help you, you know, the next level. And you know, I know interviewed a few and then, um, you know, um, BJ. He's, he's an Iowa man too, right? Yeah. So, so BJ played at Iowa and, you know, still has some ties here and comes back. Um, I didn't know him great growing up, but you know, my dad played at Iowa. So he, he, he knew some of these guys and, um, Jay, one of, um, BJ's assistants, his name was Jason Rainey, who's, back in the agency business he had gone to do some things in the nba but now he's back um had been the one to kind of really recruit me and i met with and really enjoyed it and then obviously bj getting having a little bit of relationship with them and they were awesome to me um you know bj was just great dude and he's been really successful in that business and uh, it was fun kind of to kind of re rekindle that relationship with him and um and, and 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 go through you know playing pro ball with them representing me it was fun yeah my eyebrows kind of raised up when i saw that because BJ Armstrong, I see him on Colin Coward's show quite often. Yeah. Very in the know, and he's certainly a, a star in the in the representation agency world. So I thought that was a pretty interesting nugget right there, especially with the Hawkeye connection. Yeah, it was it was cool to kind of you know make that connection and now have a lifelong um, you know friend and mentor and, and someone that can kind of help you in the business um, is great. You know, he's he's done he's done awesome, and he's he's a great dude. Um, he comes off on TV as a you know smiling, funny like. He looks like a little kid still. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable that like how he like doesn't age. Um, but just a good dude. He, 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 he's, he was fun to, you know, keep in touch when I, when I was playing and helped me through things. It was great. I'll let you out of here on this and let you hit the recruiting trail. Last segment, bring him up on stage. Who is someone that you know in the college basketball world, maybe just affiliated with the college basketball world? Who is someone that you think would 
be willing to jump onto the program and chop it up with us? Um, no, another young, young coach. Um, he's at Wright state. There's Clint Sargent. Um, I, I, and then they've done a really good job there. Um, he comes to mind, you know, I, I grew up playing with him. We played AU ball back in the day together and I always stayed in touch. He was a good player at South Dakota state. Um, really good player there. And then they've had great success there. Um, as a, as a player, he was a good player now. And then he started coaching there and then went with coach Nagy to uh, Wright state and has done really, really well there and, 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 and climb up the ranks of, uh, of, uh, college basketball. And he's got a really bright future and someone, um, I think he'd be a pretty good guest. Really, really, really smart um, and funny guy as well. Awesome. Well, I may rely on you for a warm intro. I might yeah. reach out to Clint myself. Uh, and hey, I I love Southwest Ohio. If you didn't know this, I'm a huge Cincinnati guy. My brother-in-law's from Dayton. Really? He loves loves Dayton. Loves. I like. Okay. He knows everything about Dayton. Uh, he's a Flyer fan, so I can't say that he's a Wright State guy. Uh, yeah. But. Southwest Ohio, man, we go there pretty often. That's where my in-laws. You got big game this weekend. Then is, is that your team? My team? Bengals? No, I'm an Arizona guy. You know, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, no. So I'm from I'm from the Boston area. So okay. cannot claim I, maybe a cheat team. I've yeah. you know I'm sure people will say like, oh, you're a bandwagoner. Like absolutely, I love gotcha. Joey B. But yeah, <laughs> huge huge weekend down there yeah. uh, in Cincinnati, and a huge week upcoming for you, Matt. Like I said, I'll let you get to it. Thank you so much for jumping on and and sharing a lot of these stories and your perspective. We really enjoyed it. No, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me. Appreciate Virgo for. Uh, making the connection, which is awesome. You know, he's, like I said, another rising star in this business, someone I always rely on and, and the fun guy to know. So I appreciate that and appreciate you guys reaching out and doing this. This is always fun. And thanks for, for, for all you do for this. This is great. Of course, Matt. Best of luck moving forward. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. We want to thank Matt again for jumping onto the program. Some really, really great insight from an assistant coach. Best of luck to Drake moving forward. They had a really fun run last year they're putting together a very good season this year second in the mvc so we'll see if they can make a run in arch madness especially and get back to a second consecutive ncaa tournament appearance all right let's go ahead now and get to your guys's bets i forget who i started with last time um, but i will do a quick recap as a matter of fact uh, shark if you want to dispute feel free we can take this offline but shark six and eight taylor ten and five actually that's exactly dispute. where we should dispute i said offline please send me a note send me a note i'll and filter it through the proper channels okay i'm sending you, I'm sending you a note with my mouth right now shark i'll kick it off with you then first i have a little pity on you i'm seven and seven on the year please sir i want some more what? 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 My picks all Thursday nighters for you. All right. So when you guys, if, if this gets played beforehand, I got Thursday night picks for you. Um, I'm going first to the Big Ten and I'm taking Ohio State. Ohio State, they haven't started clicking the way I wanted to. They're favored by four against Minnesota. I just think Minnesota's a pile of trash. Don't like Minnesota. They beat Rutgers the other day. Uh, they got a first-year head coach, Ben Johnson, I think his name is, and a million transfers from bad schools that contribute for them. So it's all George Washington, UNH, and guys like that. I just I need to see EJ Liddell get rolling. I mean, he's in contention for first-team All-American at this point. Aarons, I want all these guys to start getting hot. I like Ohio State. Chris Holtman is one of my favorite coaches in the sport. Actually, now that I just mentioned that, maybe not Chris Holtman at Louisville. Not a bad thought. Uh, good idea by the Shark. Next pick. 
in uh, all these lines, for the record, they come from Odd Shark the night, the day before. So if you're going to contest these lines, then I'm looking right at the site. Next one, staying in the Big Ten again, Purdue, minus two against Iowa. Why is it only minus two? These guys played earlier in the year. The game was in Purdue, uh, and it was like a 12-point line, and Iowa somehow actually came back. But they were blo- Purdue was beating the shit out of them early on. I'm starting to really get behind this Purdue team. I like them a lot. Stefanovic, every time he puts it up, I like get a little shiver going down my spine. Beautiful shooter. Uh, but I'm going to take Purdue getting uh, only giving two. Uh, and I just don't really like this Iowa team. Not enough toughness in there. Just not an Iowa guy. And then my final one, this is just a ridiculous pick. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, you guys can laugh at me if I were to do this. I expect you to. Uh, let me get the accurate line as I talk through it. But I'm going to the Pac-12, going into your neck of the woods. I'm taking Mike Hopkins in Washington. All right, they're playing Colorado. They played Colorado earlier this year. They're getting, it looks like, four points. No, three and a half points. So Washington getting three and a half against Colorado. Soup, you're making a face at me. Why are you making a face? That doesn't seem like a lot of points because they just got blown up by Oregon by 50 the other day. Colorado just beat that Oregon team. That's what I'm saying. Wow, by the way, Colorado, out. I'm not done yet. Colorado beat Washington a couple weeks ago. So everything makes it seem like Colorado should beat the shit out of this team. That's why I'm going with Washington. So I'm taking Washington. I, yeah, I, they're actually not bad. They're not terrible this year. Um, they did lose by 40 oh, to Oregon. They're, they're but pretty fucking oh, <laughs> pick makes no sense, guys. All right. It makes no sense. But I wanted to get one in the Pac 12 just so I can start telling you that I know more about your league than you do because, no offense, your Arizona team, a little bit, little bit soft right there. A little bit of a paper tiger, if you were to ask me. I'm not going to lie. It was a very soft performance. We'll, we'll recap this though. Hopefully next week or maybe the show after when they, when the Bruins go to go to Tucson, but okay. To recap Ohio state to cover Minnesota minus four Purdue to cover Iowa minus two. You're right. Father, you did miss earlier. It was week one Purdue to cover Iowa minus 12 and a half. That did not hit. Let's see if you can get some redemption this time. Uh, and then Washington to cover Colorado getting three and a half. That was shocking to me. I was, I was thinking you might've missed a digit or miss misspoke. Three and a half. We'll see. I thought too, but when things don't make sense, that's when they make the most sense. So, so I'm seeing that line at two and a half on Odd Shark personally, and the only reason I know that is because you just made my whole entire argument of why I'm taking Colorado. Uh, no, case. it's three. I'm looking at three and a half right. Has it, has it moved to three and a half since I? Yeah, loaded I'm looking right at three and a half. I Shark, what do, what do, what do we got to do to get you on on Washington money line? I, I'm, I'm gonna probably. I might have to do it on the side right now, just because it's, this pick makes no sense. You should no. kick me off the show. It is so stupid, but it's so beautiful at the same time. Taylor, so, who you got? So I think this is going to be Titch Bowl 2.0 or maybe 3.0 this year, where we're going against each other. Um, so I'm going Colorado on that game for all of the reasons that the shark just just said. Uh, minus three and a half or minus two and a half, whatever it is right now. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, Colorado. I'm locking, just, I'm locking you in at three and a half. Just came off. As we said, a big, big win at Oregon, like 24 hours ago, 48 hours, whenever it was. And um, I'm going with the team playing good basketball, showing the ability to win big games on the road. I'm going to go with Colorado in that one. Uh, secondarily, uh, the game I was going to start with before shark brought all the, that nonsense there is i'm going to go with the team we talked about earlier that's murray state going on the road to tennessee tech uh murray state's favored by 12 i'm going to take them there uh murray state beat tennessee tech by 26 earlier this year uh so i'm going to go ahead and ride with them again uh to them 
uh, and add to their win streak. What did we say their win streak was at? Like 17 now? So Murray State and Moorhead State combined 17 straight games. Uh, I think Murray State, or, or it's either eight or nine. Eight Between eight and nine, keep an eye on those two in the OVC. Let's let's make it double digits then with Murray State by 12. Uh, and then third and final, I'm going to go to the Sanford Sports Center in South Dakota and take the South Dakota Coyotes. Just one point favorites over North Dakota State. The Bison. I'm a big Bison, guys. We've uh, noted on this program before. A couple relatives uh, have our alumni from North Dakota state, but this time around I'm going South Dakota state um, at home, excuse me, South Dakota, not South Dakota state, South Dakota at home by one. Murray state to cover Tennessee tech minus 12 South Dakota to cover North Dakota state minus one Colorado to cover Washington minus three and a half. I mean, I had zero intention or, or excitement to watch this Colorado Washington game. I cannot wait to watch it. We might have to live stream it. But, yeah, Taylor, also, that is your your neck of the woods. It really is. You pummel that part of the country. You, you've had bets for, like, Eastern Washington. You've had bets for Washington State. You got Colorado, right? You got South Dakota. You got North Dakota State. Colorado State. That is your area of the country to bet well, on. Let's stop buttering them up. I've actually followed him on one of his Eastern Washington picks earlier this year. They got blown out. So let's not crown this guy the king of the Northwest just yet. I'm hey, just saying I love that he ventures there. He ventures well, there. The reason that I'm winning 67% of the games that I bet on so far this year in college basketball is because I'm not just betting on the big time matchups. Okay. You don't just have to go to ESPN. You know, anyone that has a cable package, let's say, would know that there's more channels on it than just ESPN. Let's talk about CBS Sportsnet at 11 p.m. Eastern, huh? What's going on there? Okay, let's talk about SEC Network 2. All right, so I, the the you, other you, channel that's showing, like, so, the fucking... Fine, I'll put you on the spot right now. What's on at 11 tonight on CBS Sports? I know the answer. Do you? I have no idea. Should no be Rothstein and Co., right? No, you're wrong. Are we getting a Mountain, mountain West Utah game? State, San Diego State. All right. All right don't I come at I said don't I asked Mountain West game. All right, yeah. I'm guy, 500 guy, on picks this year. I went 78% on Wednesday nights last year. Guy gets, year. Ca- guy gets cable for one day in his parlor, and he thinks he's got I the fuck. He thinks he's fucking TV guide here. Well, I appreciate you using the parlor term right there because I really want that to stick. So thank you. Uh, see, I, I'm, I'm a little worried for you. I think you're going to start using these old-timey terms like parlor, like shifferobe, or you're going to say, honey, come in for supper, things like that. So I just want you to be aware of the vocabulary that you use in public. Can I? I, know what, I don't even know what that second word was. Shifferobe. Yeah. Can I maybe – can I introduce Shiva. a new? Come here, you, come. <laughs> you, know, you got me. You want me to splice that in? Yeah, let's splice it. Let's splice right. it. Shiva, come soma. Kanda kram, Shiva, come soma. Kanda kram. Hey! Shiva, come soma. Kanda kram, Shiva, come soma. Kanda kram. Can I introduce perhaps something new that Shark should do during the program? Maybe throughout the week, even while he's tweeting, let's call it maybe a Saturday morning parlor parlay for the people, perhaps. Mm. It's actually not bad. That's not bad. Let's workshop that. Let's see if we can get a commitment out of no, the No, we don't even need to workshop that. It's that's it, it's either a yes or no, well, I think, at that point. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's tough enough getting the shark to show up here on, on the well, hold on, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's unfair, brother. That's unfair because I always show up in this time of the year. You guys are mad at me for not showing up on Tuesday night. I was on a flight. 
I was listening. To, I, I, this is actually kind of a funny story. I'm on I'm on the flight Tuesday night, and uh, the last time I gave the Michael Ruzioni story. This time I'm sitting in my own row, and like I, it's comfortable. The planes aren't that crowded. It's Tuesday night. You know, no one's flying from DC to Boston. And I I was on there, but there's still enough people around. I get I get meatloaf going soup. You know I've been listening to a ton of meatloaf lately, and I'm getting bad out of hell going, and I just start kind of forgetting that I'm in public and start head bobbing real intensely a little bit, singing it, mouthing the words. And I look over and there's just like this, you know, 62 year old white guy looking right at me. Like what is, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about your, your meatloaf intake as well, father. I mean, I know it's in memoriam. You're paying tribute, but I can't believe you're still listening to a meatloaf. Right, so I'm, I'm not going to lie. Did you, did you grow up on meatloaf? I, Come on. I, my mom was a huge, huge meatloaf fan. Loved the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We had it on a CD in our car growing up. And it, whenever she was driving me around as a kid, always had meatloaf rocking and rolling. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Splice. Also, I mean, I don't think people need need the splice. Maybe I'll use that as the closing credits. How about that? Um, all right, let's go ahead and finish it up now with a few segments. Twit time. We haven't done this in a minute. This week in feet, a couple items. One, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is outrageous, outrageous flop against Utah. Uh, I think Steve Lavin was on the call. And I don't know if either of you guys remember this. He was getting back down and like the, the player's not even making contact with Dylan anymore. I think he was just slightly off balance, but I think he also tried selling the foul. And he just throws his hands back, lands on his butt. And everyone in the arena was just looking at him like a complete clown. Uh, I don't know if did anyone remember that, that like, Dylan Brooks flop. He like double, like double pumped the, the flop essentially and, and went like all the way from one side of the key all the way onto like the Pac-12 logo or something like that, if I remember correctly. So yeah, that was, that was an extreme acting job. Inexcusable. Dylan Brooks, though, real contributor for the Memphis Grizzlies, who are really, really good uh, this year. In addition to that, this week in feet, send it in Jerome. I feel like that's something that we have to touch on every single year. One of the most iconic college basketball plays. Raftery on the call. Glass everywhere. Sean Miller with the assist. Jerome uh, with the with the throwdown. Uh, it's something that's brought up in college basketball circles every single year. So we as well had to pay homage. Uh, and then one more segment that i wanted to revisit it was a it was a new guy at the beginning of the year and we sort of went dormant but you're old as fuck old as fuck you're old as fuck uh did you guys know that victor murishan is on the georgetown hoyas son of george murishan i mean i know I, we all know we know georgie right i was not aware that he was on yeah and of course he's on georgetown because every big man of all time has a son that goes to Georgetown essentially. Yeah, I didn't know that either, but I mean, it's not like George is, I mean, George's always been old over there. That is true. That is true. But I guess that was the, the crux of it. But I mean, George Mirashan, what was he in that, that movie with Billy Crystal? Does anyone remember that yeah, film? I do. I do. Oh, I got to look it up. Yeah. Martin. No. Michael, I think it was something my, like it's my giant, my giant, though. my giant. Yes, Yikes. Victor Mirashan, though Mirashan Bull Bull, two of the tallest individuals we watched growing up. Uh, they're kids now making waves in both college and uh, professional hoops. We're gonna skip the hugs. We'll get you out of here. 
Uh, and we'll catch you next time here on Theater in College Hoops.
going around. I won't do that. No, I won't do that. 